Thank you for joining us for this message from More Life Church, where we exist to love God, to love people, and to reach a region for Jesus and to make a difference for generations to come. Now, to learn more about how we're reaching our community and how you can partner with us and learn how God has uniquely designed you, check out Grow Steps on Demand by visiting morelifechurch.com slash growsteps or by downloading our app today. But for now, enjoy today's message. This has been, for me, um, I think, not, not I think, I know this has been, for me, the most relaxing Easter preparation and setup of my entire life as a pastor. And I, I'm loving it because there's like zero pressure on my life. Let me just like kind of invite you into my world. Um, today is like the Super Bowl of Sundays for churches and Christians all over the world. And um, a lot of times, uh, and, it's, and it's worth getting excited about, but a lot of times I would put a lot of pressure on myself to impress you. And um, this year, I didn't do that. And I guess what I wanna start by saying is, whether you're a guest or a regular attender, I don't really care if you like what I have to say or like me at all today. <laughs> now, I will tell you this, if you give me a shot, you will like me. <laughs> but today is not about you liking me, it is about us focusing on Jesus, the one who lived a perfect, sinless life, died for us, Spoiler alert, was raised from the dead. And like that's the spirit and tone for today. I'm a non-traditionalist in many ways. So I'm not gonna read today from the story and text that you've heard 11,000 times about the resurrection. I'm going to make an assumption that everyone in this room has either seen a movie, read the scripture, or heard a preacher tell you about the resurrection of Jesus. So I know it's a scary thing to make an assumption, but I'm gonna go ahead and make that assumption that you know the end of the story. Um, but, but what I want to do is, I want us to see in a text from John chapter three, verse 30, that the reason he did this was to completely and utterly transform our lives in a ridiculous way, that when we come in contact with the forgiving power of the risen Christ, it changes everything about our story. It has the power to do what nothing else can do. And um, we look at this resurrection in John chapter three, verse 30, which is a text that our church has been looking at together if you've been following along. It's, it's just seven simple, but not easy words. And here's what the text says, John chapter three, verse 30. John the Baptist speaking about his cousin Jesus says this, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's the journey that I'm on. And that's the journey I'm inviting you on along with me, that we have to decrease. What we think, what we feel, what we hope, what we dream, all of those things have to be yielded and submitted to the authority of Jesus and he has to be the one that increases in our life. This is a very unpopular 21st century message because everyone is interested about what's in it for me. And Jesus says, that doesn't matter. What matters is that you fulfill the assignment that God has placed in the heart of humanity to fulfill, which is to serve 
broken humanity around you. Your job, my job, is to reflect the resurrection of Jesus in our ability to serve and love each other. It's really simple, but not easy. And, and I say that because I'm attempting today, with God's help, to just give you Jesus. Nothing else. There will be no pontificating from the platform today about politics. Somebody say, thank God. Go ahead and say it out loud. Say, thank God. Thank God. I don't need another Republican or Democrat or independent version of Jesus. I don't need a politicized version of Jesus. We've politicized everything in this world, and I refuse to allow us to politicize Jesus. He is in a category all by himself that's larger than any category we can imagine. Like that's, so like just Jesus, like just him. He has to increase. I told you I need to be in this chair for a reason. He's got to increase and we've got to decrease. Not that, not, I'm looking for some people who will radically invite Jesus into their life to say, I don't want it for me. Less of me, more of you. I'm asking him to invade your belief system and my belief system. And he's doing this for me. I'm asking him to say to me, Josh, here's who I really, really am. Not just the one you want me to be. And here's why. Because I know today that scattered throughout this county and all over the services that we'll do this morning, there will be People who are here right now, I'm not asking you to identify yourself. I don't even have anyone in mind when I say this. I just know, given the odds, these things that I'm about to mention are represented in this room. There's at least one person in this room, you've said this, I'm giving God one more shot, and today's it. After this, I'm done. I've ran into too many Christians, you might be saying, who've ruined Jesus for me. I'm giving you one more shot. There's somebody in here today, you don't know if your marriage is gonna make it or not and you've lost sleep, you haven't been eating, you've been in distress and discouragement because you don't know what the future holds in your household. There are individuals in this room, you've lost a loved one and you're living in the pain of that grief right now and you just need to see Jesus for who he really is. There are individuals in here now watching online and who will be here later. You're struggling with addiction and you wanna know, is there real help in this Jesus I've heard about? I've heard all this stuff about him, but I'm ready to see him do his stuff. I'm ready to see him increase and me decrease. There are people in this room right now, you are completely disinterested in anything I have to say and there is nothing I could do, including pulling a bunny rabbit out of a hat that would get your attention because you flat out don't wanna be here and you don't care, you just came so you didn't have to hear your spouse moan and complain about you not doing it. <laughs> Some of you are here for a free meal that's gonna follow. Grandma said she'd make you her best vittles after this service and you're ready to go so that's why you're here. I get all that. I know that I stand between you and whatever's next. An Easter egg hunt, a bunch of chocolate, a nap, whatever. I get all that. So I'm asking if we could just take a couple minutes and look at something because when I read this text that we're gonna read, 
in Luke chapter 7. It troubled me because I identified with the wrong person in the story. I identified with the guy named Simon who was the Pharisee more than I identified with Jesus and certainly more than I identified with the sinful woman that's in the text. And it bothered me because I identified with the wrong person. But when I finished the text, when I finished the story, something deep down in me changed. And you're gonna have the same opportunity for something deep down on the inside of your soul to change. And listen very carefully what I'm saying. That if you'll let God, if you'll give him a shot to be the king and the Lord of your life, he wants to bring you to another place spiritually. It is right here in plain sight in Luke chapter 7. I'm going to take a few verses at a time, share some thoughts with you about it, and then we're going to have a chance to act on our faith if we choose to. Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to begin in verse 36. In verse 36, here's how it begins. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, speaking of Jesus. And he went, Jesus, he went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant, fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited, who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him. So let's pause and get the picture. A Pharisee is a religious leader. They're the theologian. They're the scholar. They are the properly educated leader of the community in this time and era. And he, Simon, being a Pharisee, invites Jesus to his home for a meal. And these meals are sort of like there's sort of an open invitation, but there's an unwritten societal rule that you have to really belong there to accept this invitation. And so Jesus is invited along with a whole bunch of other religious leaders. And they're gonna do what religious leaders do, which is they're gonna argue and discuss doctrine and uh, really be excited about how smart they are and how smart their friend is and who has the text perfectly right. And they're gonna, they're gonna banter back and forth and debate the scriptures. And so Jesus, knowing this, accepts the invitation. But because it's kind of public knowledge, anyone can technically come. And this woman, who wasn't supposed to be there, shows up 
and interrupts the dinner party. Now, put yourself in that space for just a moment. You're invited to someone's house, and a woman, in this case, someone of the opposite sex, begins to cry, weep, and touch your feet. In case you're wondering, this is freaking weird. <laughs> it's weird now, it was weird then, and it forever will be weird. So immediately the environment in the room shifts from eating, I don't know when this happens, perhaps before the dessert arrives, I'm not exactly sure, but this woman does this. She's not supposed to be there. And Simon, who has called Jesus to this gathering, is disgusted. So you have to understand this, that this entire passage is a comparison and a contrasting of Simon, the religious leader, and this sinful woman who doesn't have a name, she only has a title and a stigma attached to who she is. Now, throughout history, everyone has speculated about what this woman's sin was for the sake of today. I don't really care because that isn't the main point. The main point is Simon Saint, person, sinner. And this woman, a woman in the first century was already held in low esteem just by sheer existence, never mind whatever her actions said about her. And what she did in the past apparently didn't matter that much to the writer of, of, the, of this gospel because he doesn't tell us what her sin is. He just says that it existed. So, she wasn't supposed to be there. She was an outcast and a tolerated guest, barely tolerated at the party. She brought something, though, of extreme value when she brought this alabaster flask with oil in it. And we'll look at that later. Simon the Pharisee, this is where it gets interesting. I, I have all kinds of questions when it says, when he saw this, when he saw her doing this, he spoke to himself. Did he say it out loud? Did he mumble it? Did he think it? Did his face surely show whatever it was that was going on in his mind? You ever been, my daughter is this way, you never have to wonder what she's guessing, it's all right here. <laughs> I like that. I don't have any tolerance for passive aggressiveness in my relationships. I can't stand it. I prefer aggressive aggressive. Punch me in the face, tell me you don't like me, at least I know where I stand, come on, right? Like I can get over that, but like filling in the blanks of what you are and aren't thinking with all your stuff and this stuff is going on in Simon and I'm like, holy cow, he's more, listen, I'm not sure, it doesn't tell us, but I get the impression that Simon is more disgusted with Jesus than he is the woman. And he's thoroughly disgusted with the woman. And I told you earlier, this is where I got problematic for me because I see myself in Simon when I'm reading the text, and that's a problem. In case you haven't figured this part out yet, which you have because you're really sharp, Simon isn't the hero of this story. And I always like to cast myself as the hero of the story. 
The woman is unworthy, listen, not only to be in their presence, but to touch him. When we read on in verse 40, it says this, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he, Simon, said, teacher, say it. Now, how many of you know there are lots of different ways to say words? There are many different ways, but all words have energy attached to them. So let me demonstrate it for you, if I can, with these words. Teacher, say it. I want to hear what you're saying. I, I'm on the edge of my seat. Let me know what you're thinking. Teacher, say it. Or it could be, teacher, say it. Empty gesture waiting for you to get done. I have a feeling that Simon, because of the rest of the text, Simon's a bit snarky, a little bit daring of Jesus, egging him on, go for it, dude. Who are you? Some rabbi from the wrong school on the backside of the wilderness, where are you from? Licking County? <laughs> Newark? Can't be Perry County, dear Jesus. It can't be, I'm just, te I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm, I'm total. <clears throat> Verse 41 says, and here's Jesus' response. There was a creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave. Would everybody say forgave? Freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, here's that, here's that snarkiness again. I suppose... He's reluctantly answering the question because Jesus kind of has him trapped. I suppose the one who forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. Verse 44 says this. Then he turned to the woman but said to Simon. Let me pause and I'm gonna come right back there. He turned to the woman, but he's speaking to Simon. So he tells this story, and the parable is a contrast between the sinful woman and Simon. And Simon knows it, and Jesus knows it, and the sinful woman knows it, and all of the guests know it. Jesus has just clapped back at the Pharisee. He's just put him in his place in front of God and everybody. And the Pharisee Simon is the one paying for the party. Jesus refers to two debtors, one giving 50 denarii, which for modern context, that's about one month's salary. 500 denarii is about a year's salary. So really this isn't just a 10 time increase, it's really a, about an 18 time increase if you, if you do the math, because, excuse me, I misspoke, 500 area I was about a, a year and a half's 
salary. So it's an 18-time increase. Jesus is demonstrating something very important. That the individual who understands and accepts the vastness and the deepness and the ridiculous, extravagant nature of God's forgiving power has an introduction into the ability to love. It, it isn't until you understand that you have been forgiven of something massive that you can begin to love someone to the degree that they are worthy of being loved. So often when we hear the word forgiveness, we think about giving it, and that's beautiful. But for today, I want you to think about accepting it because the amount of love that you are able to express is directly connected to the amount of forgiveness that you're able to receive. And you wanna know how to get out of the trap that you're in in life, not being able to love your family, your spouse, life. You go back to the reality of what you have been forgiven of. Luke 7, back to verse 44, and he says, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Now he's about to really go in on Simon. He just started. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my oil with feet. Oh, excuse me, has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Simon leaves out the most basic, customary gestures that are to be made in culture. Why? because that snarky attitude was coming out from the very beginning. It was not an accident that Simon refused these customary greetings. It was not an accidental thing. It was an intentional disrespect toward this rabbi that had become increasingly famous in the world around them. The woman who is supposed to be the sinner, acts more graciously to Jesus than the religious guy. And that's what he's saying to all of Simon's friends. This is ultimately the kind of attitude that caught Jesus, got Jesus killed. Defiant of the religious status quo. Defiant of the norms and rules and regulations. The real Jesus will cut through the heart of the matter and get to the heart of the issue that none of us want him to get to. He'll say things to us through friends and loved ones. Your attitude stinks. You need to change it. You're behaving in a way that isn't appropriate. Do something about it. This is what he says to this religious leader. Jesus looked at the woman but was speaking to Simon. I find this interesting. Compounded by the question when he asked Simon, do you see this woman? Whenever Jesus asks a question that the answer seems obvious, it's because the answer is in fact not obvious. Do you see this woman? 
yeah, he sees her. But that isn't the question that Jesus is asking. He's not saying, do you see her? He's saying, do you see her? I've been in rooms with people, they see me, but they don't see me. I was in Yankee Stadium in the inaugural year, the new stadium in, in, in New York City. Noon, packed out, sold out crowd. I was gifted with a whole bunch of people in this conference and uh, gifted this, this box. Never been in, how many of y'all have ever seen those boxes? I'd always seen those boxes and wanted to know what went on in those boxes. I found out. There's stuff that goes on in that box that does not happen in the stands. Like they're doing peanuts and Cracker Jacks in the stands. They're doing sushi and filet mignon in the boxes. It's a whole different way to watch baseball. Places packed, 40,000 people. We're jam-packed in this little box. I see people and they see me, but they don't see me. And I never felt so lonely in my entire life. You can go through life lonely because people see you, but they don't see you. And that's what Jesus is saying. Do you see? You don't, you, you don't see. You see this and you're filtering everything through your opinions and your doctrine and your ideas. But that's not what Jesus is asking him to do. He's asking him to change. So the question that I have is, for me, and here's how I filtered it, for all of us, I, I filtered just what I was thinking through, through me for everyone. Do, do, and I asked the question of me, but I'm asking it to all of us. Do, do I relate more to the religious leader, Simon, or, or to the sinful woman? When I'm like Simon, I become rigid, narrow, and codify life. When I am like Simon, I see rules, norms, established beliefs, and I see those things as more important than people. When I see, like Simon, I expect Jesus to see, think, act, and talk like me, not the other way around. When I see, like Simon, I have a need to be seen by others in a particular way that protects and builds my ego and my reputation and my self-image. When I see, like Simon, I judge, I exclude, and I diminish other people's life. When I see like Simon, I'm sure that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. Now you won't acknowledge that with an amen, but that just hit every human being right in the face because we've all been in a position where we knew we were right and we were not. And God has such a way of humbling us I've done this in front of my kids. I know I'm right. And then that six-year-old decletes me and upends me and ends up them being right and me wrong. I hate when God does that to me. When we're like Simon, we're excessively confident and arrogant about our place and position. When we're like Simon, our life becomes hardened and closed. And that's the thing that bothered me about this text when I read it. That was me. That's been me. Like, I don't want to be that way. How do I break free? It's the opposite of the advice that you thought you might get when you arrived here today if you thought about any advice that you might get when you arrived here today. (laughs) 
I'm not asking you to be like the religious leader. I'm not asking you to be like the priest or the pastor or the teacher or the person on staff at the church. I'm asking you to be like the sinful woman. So weird. Why? Because you're going to see in just a moment that she was labeled by something that happened in her past. And I need someone to know your old labels do not define who you are after you come in contact with the forgiving power of the risen Lord. Other people may call you that still. Other, may pe- other people may identify with you as, as that. Some people may try to pigeonhole you and typecast you and call you things that you used to be. That does not have to change your image of who you are, and it certainly doesn't change God's image of who you are once you've received that forgiveness. When we're like her, we don't allow our life to be determined by the judgments of others or ourselves. When we're like her, we let go of perfectionism and the need for approval from everyone around us. When we're like her, we orient our life to see, think, and act like Jesus. When we're like her, we, um, we love without reservation or without holding back. When, when we're like her, we live in love without any pretense. When we're like her, we have no need to be right or in control or the winner or hero of the story. When we're like her, we are willing to change and grow. When we're like her, we're willing to be vulnerable, authentic, and transparent. May I say it to you like this? That's not in my notes. When we're like her, we do not give a flying flip about what anyone around us thinks. We stop worrying about what they think and live for an audience of one who is the king and ruler and only life giver. His name is Jesus. That's, that's what we do to bring this down to a close. Therefore, verse 47, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, past tense, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same Loves little. Here's what he says. Three things that they're going to put on screen for us. Love follows forgiveness. When you know you've been forgiven, you start to love differently. Number two, forgiven people love people. It's the natural response. When you've been forgiven of a whole bunch... You love a whole bunch. When your, when your awareness of what you've been forgiven of is little, you love little. Check out Simon. He didn't believe that he needed forgiven of anything. Therefore, his love was little. He didn't receive Jesus with the customary greetings of love and, 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 um, and what you should do as a hospitable host to your guests. He was nose up, got it figured out, no need of forgiveness because I've followed all the rules and regulations and my right standing with God is based on me and what I'm able to do. And that person who thinks they don't need forgiveness by definition doesn't think they need to love, thinks they don't need to love rather because their life is wrapped up in them and everyone around them is meant to serve them. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The last one that they're gonna put on screen is this. 
We love in proportion to forgiveness. I've said everything that I've said because I wanted to preach about this. I looked up the word forgive. I've looked it up many times. This time, I read all of the definitions from the Greek dictionary that were provided. Usually I, can I make a confession? Sometimes I'm lazy and I only read like two or three. And sometimes there's like 20. And this is one of those cases. So I kept reading down. And when we receive forgiveness, this word has this meaning, which totally floored me. When we receive forgiveness, when someone forgives us and we accept it, here's what this word means. It means we leave the place we're in and we go to another place. The forgiveness that we receive when we've done wrong and someone forgives us is meant to cause us to not stay in that place, but to aid us in going to another place. So this woman who was forgiven, Jesus forgives her so that she doesn't stay in that sinful place but she goes from that place that has occupied her life and she goes to another place that is more in keeping with God's will for her life. She leaves that place to go to another place. When you forgive someone, you do the same thing. You leave the place of resentment. That's what you're supposed to do. That's how you know if you've really forgiven because you leave the place of resentment where you were living and you go to a place of freedom, which is where God wants you to go. When you accept forgiveness, you leave the place of feeling stuck and inadequate and, and inferior to a place of hope for the future. When you have been forgiven much, you love much. And here's what your Bible says in Romans. The love of God has been shed in our heart by the Holy Spirit. When? When we accept his forgiveness in our life. We love in proportion to the amount of forgiveness we receive. I better finish the text just to say that I did. Luke 7, verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table, <laughs> they still don't get it. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I wanted us to be able to have a moment to not only get into God's word, 
But I felt that it was equally important for us to have an opportunity for God's word to get in us. And I'm going to invite us to do something and it's going to require a good bit of courage, I think. And many, many people will join you as you do it. I can't help but think of this woman who is a disruptor. I like her. I don't know her, but I like her. She's so interesting to me. She doesn't care, she doesn't care about the repu her reputation. She doesn't care what the people are saying. The only thing she's focused on is Jesus. And, and I, I don't know if she knew or heard John the Baptist say, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. But I can tell you right now, just by, just by, and you can see it too, just by her doing this, she's decreasing. She's, she's humbly on the ground, hugging him around his ankles. Watch this. The text said from behind him. She doesn't even feel worthy enough to face him head on. She's behind him. And she's not at first anointing his feet with oil. She's anointing his feet with her tears. And you'll find this to be true. Way before you give Jesus all of your life and all of your value, the valuable thing, you give him your pain. You give him your struggle first. Why do we do that? I think because we're wondering, can we really trust him with who we are? Because if he, if he treats us ill because of our pain, I'm certainly not going to give him the most valuable parts of me. Everything this woman had to fight through, she ignored the murmurs, the murmurs in the room. Some of us have our souls collapse when a certain person doesn't like our photo on Instagram or our comment on Facebook. And we shrivel and our feelings are hurt over something trivial. Why do I say that? The whole town is labeling this woman something that Jesus has already forgiven. She faces the humiliation and goes anyway. I like her. I don't know her, but I like her. I don't wanna be like Simon. Got it all together, got the right clothes on, got the right doctrinal position, has the right pedigree, has the right stuff hanging on his walls. He's got it together. No. Give me Jesus. Because here is the power of the resurrection. One writer said this. I don't want to know anything except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Nothing else matters. She did this ridiculously scandalous move because she had a deep understanding that whoever is forgiven much is empowered to love much. Thanks again for joining us for this message from More Life Church. Now, if this message spoke to you, we would love for you to share it with someone you think could use it. 
And finally, if you would like to partner with us financially, you can do that by visiting morelifechurch.com give. Now have an amazing day.